We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. I don't want anybody pitying me this morning. Do not feel sorry for me, okay? You should see the other guy. I mean, they say he'll get out of the hospital maybe a couple weeks. Um, I had a skin cancer removed this past week, and um, it was a, you know, he had to dig down in there, and um, it took about eight stitches. So uh, I'm fine, I'm fine, but unfortunately, as... um, Phyllis told me what happens is the swelling that was in my forehead around the stitches has now migrated. <laughs> it, it's gravity. That's what she said. Gravity causes it to just sink down. And so my eye and other, other places get affected. Um, Bible trivia question this morning. I know a lot of you are going to jump right on this one. We sang earlier that great old hymn, um, Come Thou Found of Every Blessing. One of the verses starts... Here I'll raise my Ebenezer. What book of the Bible is that from? Sorry? First Samuel. The book that we're in. See, that was easy. All you have to do is, the answer to every question is First Samuel. First Samuel. Just say it, you know. But, you know, often, I know many people have sung that hymn, have seen that phrase, and they have no clue, because maybe they haven't, you know, read the Old Testament and haven't seen that, but it's right there where Samuel put up that stone and uh, he said, we're going to call this Ebenezer. And what does it mean? Up to this point, the Lord has helped us. It's, it's, he, he gets the glory because uh, he's the one that uh, has brought us to this point. Well, I want to thank the Lord this morning uh, for the men's retreat we had. Very first men's retreat, yes. Children, I'm sorry, I always forget. I, I don't do this very often, so I, it's not, I can't say I forgot. Children, it's time for you to go to worship. Uh, is it five through seven and under? Okay, seven years old and under. Thanks, Paul. I do want to thank the Lord for our very first men's retreat. This was kind of a dream. And I remember I mean, a year ago, we started to plan it. I thought, I'm not sure this is going to happen because... There are much larger churches than we are that have never had a men's retreat. And um, the Lord helped us to pull it together. Dave really helped me to, to, to plan this thing out, and many of you cooperated. I know that some of you had uh, conflicts last weekend, or the two weeks ago when we had the retreat. And I understand that. So I just want to share one main point that we went over in the retreat. We defined a biblical friend. There are there are friends, and then there are biblical friends. And so we came, we came up with a definition, and then I, I challenged all the guys who were there to trust God for at least one biblical friend. And so we're going to put that definition up on the, 
the screen, I believe. There is a, that's a biblical friend. Uh, biblical friends are committed, first of all, to Jesus as their best friend. And they're pursuing him in the word every day. They're in prayer. They're pursuing him in their relationships. Secondly, biblical friends uh, are committed to spending time together. And the word time is key because none of us have it, right? Everyone says, I don't have time for this, that. Well, these, if they're really a biblical friend, they're committed to that because that's the only way iron can sharpen iron. Proverbs tells us that that's what friends are all about. Thirdly, a biblical friend, they're committed to each other's spiritual growth, encouraging Christ-like qualities that they see and also willing to confront something in that other guy's life that's not a Christ-like quality. And finally, uh, biblical friends are committed to developing the no secrets principle. That is, there is complete transparency in every area of their lives as they meet, as they relate to each other, as they develop that friendship. And I believe that every man here today needs at least one biblical friend. And I can't imagine what it would be like if, if the gathering had, that every man at the gathering had at least one guy who could say, yes, we have a, we're friends like, like that. So uh, I do want to thank the Lord for the retreat. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 9, please. 1 Samuel 9, as we continue this series. When you're in a, a group of people like this, or maybe even a larger group, I wonder how many of you like to be singled out. How many of you like the spotlight just put right on you? If I ask for raising of hands, I don't think we get too many hands. We like to kind of blend in. And yet there are churches, I don't know if you, if you realize this, but there are actually churches years ago who would, on a Sunday morning service, they would say, how many first time guests do we have here today? Raise your hand if you're here for the first time. God would raise, person would raise their hand. Then they would say, would you please stand up and introduce yourself and tell us about you? Oh my goodness, you can't, you couldn't do anything worse than that. Sometimes I look back on it and I can't believe churches actually did that. What's wrong with that? Most people don't want to have the spotlight on them, especially if they're here for the first time. Now, when people come through that door on Sunday morning and they're first time guests, I hope you go to them one-on-one -on -one and, and introduce yourself and say, boy, we're glad to have you here. It can't just be Pastor Mike and the elders and a few other people. Take that upon yourself. Say, Lord, I want the gathering to be such a friendly place that when someone comes in, I take it upon myself to go and find out who they are and, and greet them. But when it comes to the larger group like this, you don't single someone out. You don't ask them, to, hey, would you stand and sing a solo or you know, whatever. You don't, you don't ask that. People want to blend in. They want to be unnoticed. We even saw that last Sunday morning. Pastor Mike talked about Israel. Remember, they wanted to blend in. They wanted to be like all the other nations. They wanted a king. That's human nature. But this morning, here in 1 Samuel chapter 9, we're going to see, we're going to be introduced to a young man who stood out. Obviously stood out. With no warning, with no effort on his own, suddenly he was uh, he became Israel's center of attention. And when I say center, actually, if they had basketball in 1043 BC, he would have been the center because he was the tallest man in all of Israel. He was set apart from everyone else for three reasons. First of all, his physical stature, and, and the Bible says here he was a handsome guy. Secondly, the prophet Samuel 
anointed him. But even more importantly, you know how he was set apart? God set him apart as the leader of Israel. So would you please stand with me as we read God's word? I'm going to read some selected verses from 1 Samuel chapters 9 and 10. 1 Samuel chapters 9 and 10. First part of uh, the first verse, we're introduced to a man by the name of Kish. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. And notice verse 2. His son, Kish's son, Saul, was the most handsome man in Israel, head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. They mention his size later on in chapter 10. Skip down to verse 15 now. Verse 15. Now the Lord had told Samuel the previous day, about this time tomorrow I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him to be the leader of my people, Israel. He will rescue them from the Philistines, for I have looked down on my people in mercy and have heard their cry. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said, that's the man I told you about. He will rule my people. Now skip down to verse 20, please. Verse 20. Samuel's speaking to Saul, and Saul had been out looking for his father's donkeys, and he hadn't been able to find them. So Samuel said, and don't worry about those donkeys that were lost three days ago, for they have been found. And I'm here to tell you that you and your family are the focus of all Israel's hopes. Saul replied, but I'm only the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest tribe in Israel. And my family is the least important of all the families of that tribe. Why are you talking like this to me? Now chapter 10, verse 1. Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it over Saul's head. He kissed Saul and said, I'm doing this because the Lord has appointed you to be the ruler over Israel, his special possession. Now we go down to verse 9, verses 9 and 10. As Saul turned and started to leave, he's leaving Samuel now. Samuel had just prophesied that three things are going to happen to him that day. As Saul turned and started to leave, God gave him a new heart. And all Samuel's signs were fulfilled that day. When Saul and his servant arrived at Gibeah, they saw a group of prophets coming toward them. Then the Spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul, and he too began to prophesy. And now skip down to verse 17. Verse 17. Later Samuel called all the people of Israel to meet before the Lord at Mizpah, and he said... This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, has declared. I brought you from Egypt and rescued you from the Egyptians and from all the nations that were oppressing you. But though I have rescued you from your misery and distress, you've rejected your God today and have now and have said, no, we want a king instead. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by tribes and clans. So Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel before the Lord. And the tribe of Benjamin was chosen by Lot. Then he brought each family of the tribe of Benjamin before the Lord. And the family of the Matrites was chosen. And finally Saul, son of Kish, was chosen from among them. But when they looked for him, he had disappeared. So they asked the Lord, where is he? And the Lord replied, he's hiding among the baggage. So they found him and brought him out. And he stood head and shoulders above anyone else obviously he was hiding he was crouched down or somehow because you couldn't miss him if he was standing up 
but he was hiding. Then Samuel said to the people, this is the man the Lord has chosen as your king. No one in all Israel is like him. And all the people shouted, long live the king. Father, this morning we come to that portion of Samuel where we, we see a man singled out. A man that you set apart to serve as the leader of your people. Lord, this morning, I would ask you to prepare our hearts to understand that all of my brothers and sisters here, each one who has trusted you as Savior, has also been set apart. We have been set apart as servants of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We have been set apart to live for you in this fallen world. And I pray that you would help us to understand that this morning. That we will want to live each and every day as a people set apart to honor you and glorify you and praise you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Last Sunday, our focus, of course, was on the fact that Israel had rejected God as their leader. And they said, no, we want a king. It's repeated right here in our text again. Even after Samuel warned them, he said, I'm going to tell you what a king's going to do. This is not going to be all fun and games. He's going to demand things of you, and you're not going to like it. What do they do? No, we still want a king. So God told the prophet Samuel that he, wanted to get, he was going to give them what they wanted. You know, Samuel had learned from a young boy. We see this earlier in the book, don't we? He had learned that you should always wait on the Lord to get his word. We need to wait on the Lord to speak and show you the way. No doubt in my mind, Samuel had to wait. We don't know how long it was between this moment uh, in, in chapter 8 and chapter 9, verse 15, when God revealed who the king was. But I wonder this morning, how about you? Is it hard for you to wait on the Lord? When, you're, when you ask him for an answer to prayer, when you bring a need before him, when you're asking him for direction, it's hard to wait, isn't it? But all the Bible says, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. So Samuel waited. Now let's back up a little bit in 1 Samuel 9. As we said earlier, Saul was sent by his father to search for these lost donkeys. They hadn't been able to find them for three days. So they're getting ready to go home. And here's the amazing thing. Saul's servant says, wait a minute, I think there's a man of God in this town. And maybe we ought to try to find him. Maybe he can help us to find the donkeys. God led them right to the village where Samuel lived. And remember in verse 15, we just read it, the day before what happened. God told Samuel, I'm going to send a man to you. He's going to lead my people. He's the one. We cannot miss the sovereignty of God in chapter 9. God brought these two men together. It was no coincidence. It was God's perfect plan. But you know, I think it's fair to ask the question this morning. Why Saul? Why Saul? Among all the men of Israel who might have had leadership potential, leadership ability, why did God choose him? Was it because he was tall, dark, and handsome? Well, that's a phrase that 
you know, that's an old phrase we use. That's a good description of chapter 9, verse 2. That's exactly what he was. But we know that wasn't the reason God chose him. It was not his physical size. It was not that he was a, a good-looking guy at all. Because the Lord will tell Samuel, we're going to see this uh, a few weeks from now in 1 Samuel 16, 7. God said, Samuel, people judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks where? Lord looks on the heart. In fact, he's the only one who can see my heart right now. He's the only one who can see your heart. He knows what's inside of us. It wasn't because of his physical stature. No, maybe it was Saul's family connections. Maybe that's why God chose him. He was from a very influential family. Well, Sam, Saul actually um, wonders why Samuel's even talking to him. Look at verse 21. He was from the smallest tribe in all of Israel. Well, we might think maybe it's his proven record of leadership. He has quite a resume, right? There's nothing in the scripture that says Saul was this was known as this great leader. Was Saul campaigning for the job? Was he saying, vote for me, vote for me for king? He had no idea what was about to happen to him when Samuel approached him. So the reasons why God chose Saul to be the king are really not clearly spelled out here. All we know is in chapter 8, God said to Samuel, I'm going to give the people what they want. I'm going to give them a king. We know that Samuel was waiting on the Lord. The Lord had told him what he was going to do, but he was waiting for God to reveal his choice. We also see here in verse 16 of chapter 9, God was showing mercy to his people. We all remember when they were in bondage in Egypt and they cried out to God. Remember, they were slaves. They were being mistreated. They said, oh God, would you deliver us? God sent Moses to, to lead them out of bondage in Egypt. And so in a very similar way, right here in 1 Samuel, God heard their cry and God had mercy on his people. I'm going to give them a king. He began to set Saul apart to be that king and to lead them to victory. But now we come to what I believe is the most significant factor in God setting this man apart. The question is, how did God set him apart? As the first king of Israel. And there are at least four steps to Saul being set apart by God. First of all, chapter 10, verse 1, God led Samuel to anoint Saul with oil. Now, what's that all about? Have you ever seen anybody else in the Old Testament anointed with oil? Any other situations you can think of? If you know anything about the Old Testament, you know there were other people who had been anointed. And what that was about was that was the way. God led his people to set apart kings and priests and others in very important leadership roles. They were set apart by this anointing process. But they weren't just set apart to be a leader. They were set apart to be a holy leader. A leader who's going to serve God and God alone. Not primarily themselves, although some of them did, didn't they? Uh, they, they weren't primarily serving the people. They were serving God. And so God had them anointed with oil. It's also interesting to me that this was kind of a private ceremony. This wasn't done in front of a bunch of people. It was simply Saul and Samuel there when he was anointed. But secondly, Saul was set apart when the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him. In fact, that's mentioned twice. Samuel prophesied it in verse 6, and then down in verse 10, it actually happened. 
Why did he need the Holy Spirit? Because his own human strength and ability would never be enough. The task ahead of him was too great. He needed the Holy Spirit's power to govern God's people in holiness and to lead them into battle. Many of you can remember the verse in Zechariah, Zechariah 4.6. What did the prophet say? It's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And you know, that wasn't just true back then in Samuel's day. It is true today as well. Having the Holy Spirit is what it took for Saul to be the king of Israel. But today, you and I need the Holy Spirit as well. We're going to come back to that later. When Jesus said in John 15, 5, without me, you can do nothing. What was he saying? Without my Holy Spirit in your life, without the power of my spirit, you can't accomplish anything. So the Spirit of God came upon him. But I wanted you to notice some, another way Saul was set apart. As a direct result of the Spirit, it says in verse 9, God gave him a new heart. That is amazing to me. You talk about being set apart. And actually, the prophet had said a few verses before, he said, Saul, you're going to be changed into a different person. You know, I would have loved to live back there and, and talk to some people who knew Saul personally and, and talk to them like two or three weeks later and say, have you noticed anything different about Saul? Does he talk differently? Does he act differently? Is there anything you say, wow, I, he didn't used to be like this. Because the Bible says Saul became a different person. God gave him a new heart. Now the last step of setting him apart, of course, is that passage we read about the public ceremony. Saul was publicly identified by Samuel and he was presented to the nation as their new king. Is it, is it kind of interesting to me that they had to go get him? He was hiding? I think that's an interesting little detail that we see there in verse 23. He's hiding among the baggage. And, and God even told him that. Where's he at? We can't find this guy. I mean, a minute ago, he was staying, towering over everybody. Now he's, he's missing. They went and got him. Samuel said, no one in Israel is like him. And the people shouted, long live the king. This is how Saul was set apart to be the first king of Israel. But now I want to get personal. I want to ask you a question. Are you a follower of Jesus here today? Are you one who knows that Jesus is your savior? That you've trusted him. He's forgiven your sin. He's come into your life. He is given you a place, a promise that he's prepared a place for you in heaven. You're going to live with him forever. If so, then in a much more significant way, you have been set apart by God. You have been set apart. Yes, he chose Saul to be king, but he chose you to be his child. He chose you to be forgiven of all sin, to live for him on this earth and to live with him forever. He has chosen you. How do I know that? Because Jesus said in John 15, 16, he told his disciples, you didn't choose me. I chose you. He has chosen us. He has set us apart. Did you ever wonder why? Do you ever wonder why God chose you? Anybody? Anybody raise your hand? You ever wonder why? Why me? Why did he set me apart? Why did he want me as a friend? 
Did you know, uh, I just remind you again of what we looked at at our men's retreat. In John 15, Jesus said, I no longer call you servants. I call you my friends. Why would you want me for a friend? You know, when we have friends, how do we kind of come together as friends? How does, if you have a good friend, what brought the two of you together? It's usually something you have in common. It's something that you do. Uh, uh, there's mutual interests of some kind. Yet here's the fact. You and I had nothing in common with God. Nothing. Romans 5 verses 8 and 10 make that so clear. That when God showed his love for us, when God sent his son to die on that cross for you and me, we had nothing in common with him. Romans 5 8 says, we were sinners. He's a holy God. In verse 10, it makes it even worse. Romans 5.10 says that we were God's enemies. Why would he choose enemies to be friends? Why would he choose people who are sinners to be his friend? The only answer is right there in Romans 5. Once again, I love that chapter. The Bible tells us that it's because of his love that he chose you and me. It's because of his amazing grace that he has set you and me apart from others. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 makes that so clear. The word says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. You know, in so many relationships, it's, well, you bring this and I bring that and we, we both bring our stuff to the table. Uh, these relationships are called transactional. They're based on reciprocity. Where, you know, you do this, and I'll do this, and we'll kind of come together. It's sort of like a contractor, a builder. He says to the customer, I'll build that house for you. You give me there's, there's, you, $100,000. You give, I give. But God didn't choose you and me on that basis. That's not the reason why he set us apart. Because we had nothing to give. There was nothing on our part. That's what grace is. Amen? Grace means I didn't bring anything to the table. He brought it all. He gave it all. And he knew that unless he reached out to you and me first, unless he sent Jesus to this earth to live and then to die on a cross for you and me, unless he made the first move, we would be lost forever. I would be lost forever. I love what Peter wrote. He wrote, he does not want anyone to be destroyed but he wants everyone to repent. God wants every single person. People that you and I know who are not yet followers of Jesus. He wants them to come to know him. And I asked the question earlier. How many are followers of Jesus here this morning? If you know him as your savior. It's because somebody. At some point in your life. By God's grace. Somebody told you about Jesus. Amen. You can remember who that was. Everyone here. You can remember where you first heard and how that came about. I had heard about Jesus as a, as a very young child. But I remember clearly when I was eight years old, I recall hearing the good news at a children's meeting, 95 East 3rd Street, Mansfield, Ohio. I can take you there today and show you the building. And the invitation was given that night to trust Jesus as my Savior. And an eight-year-old boy repented. I placed my faith in Christ. Now, did I know everything that was going to happen in the next 60 years? I had no clue. I didn't know what at that point what it meant to grow, what it meant to, to, to you know, to 
follow him in a closer way, to love him more. But I began to understand that night that he had chosen me and he was setting me apart. Each of you have your own story. You know, on a Sunday morning like this, it would be wonderful if we had the time and we could just, you know, go on into the afternoon and share, if everyone could share their own story. You have a story of how Jesus found you. It would be wonderful to share that. But I want to emphasize this morning that when you trusted Christ, when he came into your life, what happened? God set you apart. God set you apart. We've looked this morning in 1 Samuel uh, chapters 9 and 10 how God sets all apart. So now let's think for a moment. How did God set you apart? And there are some clear parallels between the text in chapter 10 here and what God has done in your life and mine. Okay, let's start with Saul being anointed with oil. I got to be honest with you. When I trusted Christ, nobody anointed me with oil. Literally, I was not anointed that night. And, and I'm assuming that most of you would say the same. Nobody put, poured oil over your head when you trusted Jesus. But in God's word, oil very often symbolizes the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what oil all, uh, often means. So here's my question. How does this relate to you and me? How are we set apart? Let me ask you, did the Holy Spirit become active in your life when you trusted Christ? Did he? The Bible says absolutely. Just as the Spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul, Jesus promised us. John 14, 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate or a comforter who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. Jesus made that promise. When was it fulfilled? Somebody tell me. When was that promise fulfilled? Day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2 verse 4. The Bible says, And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now listen. Ever since that day, at Pentecost, every man, woman, young person who trusts Jesus, guess what happens? The Holy Spirit comes. The Spirit of God comes to live inside you and me when we trust Christ. This is the most significant part of being set apart to God. It is the most important thing that can happen to you and me. You see, we can't serve God. We can't live holy lives in an unholy world without the power of the Holy Spirit. It is never going to happen. Again, I always refer back to John 15, 5. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. We have to have the Spirit's power. But I want you to notice some other, another way that Saul was set apart. Remember, the Bible says, Samuel said to him, you will be changed into a different person. I don't know what he looked like afterward. I don't know how he acted exactly. I, I would love to know. But in a few verses later, the Bible says God gave him a new heart. Does God still set people apart that way today in 2022? Does he still do that? Does he still make us a different person? Does he still give us a new heart? Answer me. Thank you. He does. And, and if you look at the Old Testament, you look at the New Testament, it's all throughout Scripture. When we come to Jesus and trust Him, we become a different person. 
No, it may not happen overnight. I mean, the changes people see may be a little bit gradual, but he makes us a different person. How do we know that? Ezekiel 36, 26. This is one of Susie and I, my, our favorite verses. We love this passage. I wish I could read everything around it, but I want to just lift this out. Ezekiel 36, 26. God said, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. What's he talking about? He's referring, obviously, prophetically, ahead to the New Testament. When Jesus would come. When the Holy Spirit would be sent on the day of Pentecost. And that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, you all know this verse. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone. The new life has begun. Isn't that exactly what happened to Saul? And yet for you and me, it's in a much more eternal way. A much more significant way. When we trusted Jesus, he made us new people with new hearts. That's what it means to be set apart from everyone else who, who doesn't know him yet. Well, there's one more thing. Remember, Saul was publicly set apart. Remember that part of the scripture we read? Saul called all of Israel together. And then they said, okay, Saul says, I'm ready to... We're, we're going to present the new king. They had all these tribes come and finally narrowed it down to one. And then they looked around and he's not even here. He's hiding. They brought him out. Samuel said, this is your king. Let me ask you, is there a public moment when you and I are kind of set apart in a very public way? Water baptism. Jesus said, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Just a, a few weeks ago, September 11th, I think it was, we had our baptismal service. Uh, and, and several of our young people uh, followed the Lord in water baptism. What's happening there? It's a public declaration, isn't it? It's in front of other people saying, I fo I'm following Jesus. I am being set apart to him. It's a beautiful thing. And I'm so glad we used to have baptismals uh, in, in my church back in Pennsylvania. We always sang that chorus, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. It's a wonderful moment. This morning we've looked at 1 Samuel 9 and 10. And we've seen here this morning that a relatively unknown young man named Saul was suddenly chosen, set apart by God to be the king of Israel. He was anointed with oil, empowered by the Holy Spirit. He was given a new heart. He was set apart in a, in a public presentation. But what kind of king was Saul? What kind of king is he going to become? And we're going to see that in the next few chapters. I'm not going to give it away. Kind of spoiler alert, right? Uh, we're going to see that in these next few chapters. But sadly, when he began his reign, early in his reign, as far as I can see in 1 Samuel... He had a couple moments of serious disobedience, serious failure. What was the problem? Was the problem that he wasn't set apart properly? Oh no, God did his part. God, obviously, as we just read here in chapter 10, God set Saul apart. Problem was, Saul still had a free will. He could obey God. He could follow God's plan for him. Or he could go his own way. Let's bring that down to you and me. All followers of Jesus. As we've seen this morning. You can see it throughout the New Testament. We have been set apart. Amen. 
we have been set apart to God to serve Him. And, and in a much more significant way than Saul ever was. In an eternal way, we've been set apart, forgiven of all our sin. We've been adopted into God's family. We've been given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers us to serve Him and to live holy lives. How in the world can you and I live a holy life in this world? Apart from the Holy Spirit, it can't be done. God's made us new people with new hearts. But even with all He has done for us and in us, and all He's given to us to set us apart, each of us here this morning still have a free will. We are able to choose. And we can choose to seek Him each day, obey Him. Oh Lord, again today I want to follow You. Or we can go our own way. I was reminded this past week about three words that Paul spoke or that he wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 31. I die daily. That's a strange phrase, isn't it? it, it you know, every time I read it, I'm like, what is Paul talking about? I die daily. And it occurred to me, I believe he was acknowledging Jesus' command in Luke 9, 23. You remember these words. We'll put them on the screen. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, how often? Daily, and follow me. Maybe Paul was thinking about that. Maybe one of the, the disciples, the followers of Jesus had told Paul, our Lord said this in his ministry. He, he told us that if we're going to follow after him, if we're going to come after him, we have to do this each day. So I'm saying to you this morning, each day, you and I, who've been set apart to serve the King of Kings, every day I have to choose to deny myself. You and I need to do that daily. We need to pray, oh Lord, today is a new day. And I am committed this day to doing your will, not mine. Jesus prayed that in the garden, remember? Father, not my will, but yours be done. And there's a sense in which we need to pray that every single day. Lord, I want your will to be done. I want to follow you. I want to obey you. Because I know that if I go my way, it ain't going to work out very well. Do you know the simplest definition of holiness? If I asked you what is holiness, we'd probably have 20 different definitions here this morning. But there is a phrase that, that really sums it up. And I don't think I've ever read any Bible dictionary any place where they try to, to, to talk about holiness, what does it mean to be holy, without this phrase coming up. Holiness means to be set apart. It means to be set apart to God and to His purposes. It's not do's and don'ts. It's not, you know, uh, rules and regulations. Unfortunately, people have really have ruined this biblical term and the whole concept by making it a bunch of, you know, well, I don't do this and I don't do that and that makes me holy. That's not what God's Word says at all. Holiness means that I have been set apart unto God. That I want to please Him. I want to serve Him. Living a holy life means a life full of love and joy and peace, and all the other fruits of the Spirit. That's what it means to be holy. It's Lord Jesus, I want to be more like you. I want to love you more every day. I want to 
be, be committed to you more every day. And so this morning, as we get ready to close this service in prayer, I want to ask you, are you willing this morning, based on what we've seen in God's word, not only was Saul set apart, but even more importantly, I have been set apart. You have been set apart if you're a follower of Christ. But that's not something we can point back to. Five years ago, I gave my life to Jesus. Ten years, 30, whatever it was. That's not enough. Because you and I live in such a... Uh, we still live in the flesh. Amen? I wish we didn't, but we do. We still live in the flesh. And that means every day, I have to do what Jesus said. I have to deny myself. I need to take up my cross. I need to say, Lord, today I'm following you. Would you make that fresh commitment with me today? To say, Lord, that's what I want to do tomorrow morning. As we begin a new week, as we begin even a new day tomorrow morning, Lord, I'm yours. I'm yours. Yes, I can go my own way. I can do, well, you can do what Saul did, but I would suggest against it. Because we're going to see in these next few chapters, uh, it, it wasn't a pretty picture. We can go our own way or we can say, Lord, I Again, I'm following you. I'm yours. The Lord reminds me often, and I, uh, you know, you have your time with the Lord, whatever time that is. I just, the morning has always been, for me personally, I, I try to set that time aside. And you know, the Lord reminds me over and over again, as I come before him, as I have the word open, as I'm praying, the Lord just reminds me of one thing. You know what, Tim? You need to be filled with the Spirit. Again, you need to be filled with the spirit again. And often I just find my heart crying out to him. Lord, here I am again. What happened yesterday? I can't do anything about that. What's going to happen tomorrow? But today I want you to fill me and empower me afresh and anew to serve you. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Can I just ask us to just quietly pray in our own hearts to the Lord for a moment. I'm going to give you a moment to respond to what you've heard. I believe the Lord has spoken. I believe that as he said, he would never let his word return void. Remember that? God tells us right in the scripture, his word will never return void. And so the Lord has spoken to me this morning. He's spoken to you this morning. Not sure exactly what he said, but Let's take a moment and you respond to him. You respond in whatever area the Lord is speaking to you right now. Let's have a moment of silent prayer. three words of the Apostle Paul that you reminded me of this week when he said I die daily Lord the fact is we need to die to our own will our own desires our own plans 
I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. As James said, how foolish it is for you to say, today, I'm going to go into this city or tomorrow I'm going to do that. And I'm going to accomplish this or that or the other thing. We don't even know if we're going to be around tomorrow. But oh, for us to say as your people, Lord, today I surrender all of that to you. I have my plans. Yes, I have some things that I would like to accomplish. But Lord, I lay that at your feet because I can't get it done without the power of your spirit. And I ask you, Lord, afresh and anew to cleanse me today, to fill me today with your precious spirit. Lord, I pray that throughout this week, this truth of being set apart will just linger in our hearts and minds, Lord. That your spirit will take this truth and that, that at the beginning of each day, we will just remember what you told us to do. If we're going to follow you, this is what we need to do. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you for speaking. Thank you for what you're doing in each and every life pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.